We're in a series uh, this summer um, that I, in the summertime, for some reason, I like to do series on Bible characters. And so we revisit that again this summer. And it's basically a series that says lessons from Bible characters. And so as we continue with that, we always remember as we look at these biblical characters, something that, that sometimes we forget, and that is they're people just like us. Very normal. They're people that had lives and families and jobs and concerns of life just like we do. And yet the Lord recorded how he dealt with them. And one of the beauties of Scripture and one of the things that attaches veracity or truthfulness to the Scripture is that the Scripture shows the good and bad of people's lives. Uh, not everybody in the Bible was perfect. They had struggles just like we do. But one of the things we see is how God worked with them, how God looked at the totality of their life. And, and so as we look at these Bible characters, I want us to remember they're like we are. They're human. But God worked in their lives, and God can work in our lives too. And so we, maybe we be encouraged as we look at these characters. Today... Take your Bibles and let's look at Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 9 through 13. If you don't have your Bible with you today, we'll have the scripture up on the screen. If not, I'll just read it audibly and you can listen. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Listen to these words from Matthew speaking about somebody he'd be familiar with. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, but sinners. Have you ever been in an awkward dinner situation? Have you ever been in an awkward dinner situation? Perhaps it was a family dinner um, where uh, maybe a long-lost relative showed up and there was some uh, maybe not good feeling between you and that person for whatever reason, uh, uh, I think of the, the, the old funny movie on TV, uh, Vacation, you know, with Chevy Chase and all that crowd in there. And, you know, everything's going along good. Now, he has some interesting characters around their table, but I remember uh, particularly like the Christmas Vacation movie, you know, and, and everything's going good until a certain person shows up for dinner. You remember who that was? Cousin Eddie. Remember Cousin Eddie? Yeah, yeah, and he uh, was quite a character, and the dynamic of the dinner kind of changes when he arrives. Maybe you've been in a situation like that before. Many years ago, I was in a situation like that. Um, I was at a, uh, 
uh, a big reunion, a giant reunion of some high school folks that I went to high school with many years ago when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, okay? Yeah, all right? So anyway, I was there and uh, I, you know, as you, as you get further away from high school, it's amazing that people you went to high school with don't look the same, okay? Now, I, you know, we stay the same, but those folks don't look the same. And so I was seated at a table with seven or eight people that I guess I should have known, but I didn't really know that well. And since it was multiple classes, it wouldn't be just my class. So that was an excuse for not knowing some of those folks. And so um, I don't have any problem sitting down at a table with strangers and striking up a conversation. Years ago, I used to worry about that, but then I learned how to deal with situations like that, so that doesn't bother me at all. So I just started working my way around the table, talking to everybody, focusing on this person and this person and this person, getting them engaged in conversation, and oh my goodness, the things I was hearing and the camaraderie and the, and the different things that were going on, and everybody was laughing and having a great time until it came around to me. And somebody finally said, well, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and you know what I said? Well, I'm a preacher. And boy, the dynamic changed around that table. In fact, one couple that'd been sitting there got up and left. <laughs> wow, awkward situations, awkward. You all know, you've been in them before. You know what I'm talking about. Well, I'd like to introduce you to maybe an awkward situation like that today in thinking about this character, Matthew. Matthew, the tax collector that the Bible talks about today. This guy, Matthew, to know him, journey back in time with me, you know, about 21 centuries now, and you'll think of old Matthew, the tax collector back then, and you think about him and and you know what? There's, there's a lot of people that don't care too much for Matthew and would not very much want him to be part of their dinner party at all at their table. See, in Matthew's day, tax collecting was not a real popular thing to be involved with. In Matthew's day, collecting taxes, well, the tax collector was more creative in a lot of ways than ours would be in the IRS today. He would have what's called a flexible conscience. He would have selective scruples as he collected those taxes. Because see, the tax collector, like Matthew, who was a Jew, but who worked for the Romans, why well, he would sign a contract with the governing authorities to regularly collect a predetermined amount of money. He had to come up with that predetermined amount of money. The governing authorities were not really much particular about how that money was collected, just that they got their money. All they wanted was their set and steady flow of cash. The details were left to the individual tax collector. And that tax collector was often someone who would abuse this privilege 
because they were in a position of power and authority. It was hard to mess with them and to challenge them. And they were in the interested in taking care of themselves as they collected the taxes, not only what the governing authorities would pay them for their service and their job, but also a little extra here and there to help them. And the people knew it. The people knew about the hypocrisy. Well, think about it. When you come to Matthew's table, hypothetically, as you loaded some things on your donkey and made it to the way to the market where he would be, you might find him saying, well, I'm going to tax you for the road you came down today. He says, I'm going to tax you for maybe those goods you brought to the market to sell. He'd say, you know what, if, I had, if you had a servant or a helper who helped you in loading that donkey and bringing things along, I'm going to tax you for him or her helping you. There would be fees for everything. Cicero, who was a Roman statesman and historian, said this. He said that tax collectors, when he made up a list of jobs that no gentleman would ever do, tax collector was right near the top, right near the top. Another ancient writer from that day, secular writer, promised that when tax collectors died, they immediately went to the evil underworld where they were tormented and plagued by demons. People, thinking of tax collectors, didn't like them at all. Now the Romans felt this way about their own tax collectors, but imagine how the people they conquered felt about tax collectors. The Jews and others. So when the Romans would go and conquer a country, they would try to leave the local folks in charge as long as they towed the line and delivered to them what they were supposed to. So when you think about Matthew, he's hated for a lot of reasons. One, he's collecting taxes. Now, I don't like to pay taxes. You don't like to pay taxes. People don't like to, and they didn't then, so they didn't like him back then for that. But also, he worked for their enemy. He was their countryman. He was a Jew, and yet he was working for the Romans, the folks who had conquered them. So he'd be looked at as a traitor, a conspirator, almost like a Benedict Arnold in a way. Every time Matthew collected a fee, it reminded those Jews who were paying those taxes that Rome was in control. Rome was in control. So they don't spend much time hobnobbing with Matthew at the tax collector's table. They do their business with him, and they walk away. There are no smiles. There are no jokes. There's no banter about the weather or anything like that. To those Jews paying their taxes, being around Matthew was something they wanted to keep as brief as possible. Matthew didn't have the social standing with the general populace that other people would have. And we understand that because in that day and time, Matthew's word, title, tax collector, would almost be used as a swear word by some. Think about it. Think about it. Matthew sitting there. But then along comes somebody a little different, very different than the regular populace. The scripture says, along comes Jesus. 
and Jesus saw a man named Matthew. You know, when Jesus comes along, things happen. Things happen. Things change. And when Jesus saw Matthew and noticed him, we see someone in Jesus who sees a tax collector, this man who had in some ways rejected his heritage and country, but Jesus sees Matthew different than other people see Matthew. Jesus does that a lot in the Bible. Think about it. You can be an adulteress at a Samaritan well or a dreaded leper. It doesn't make any difference. Jesus sees inside you. And he sees who you really are. Jesus sees someone that is in need of a physician. Someone who's in need of a savior. And Jesus looks at people then as he looks at you and I today. And as he looks at the world today with eyes of compassion. Not wanting to condemn, but rather wanting to heal only Jesus knows Matthew inside and out. And Jesus looks at Matthew and knows his heart, his mind, and his situation. He knows his pain. He knows his loneliness, which undoubtedly he had. You know, Jesus comes along and Matthew looks at him and we can only speculate what might have been going on if there was a conversation there. You know, the scriptures don't tell us everything that happens in every situation. I often say you have to read between the lines of Scripture sometimes and just assume that some things went on that maybe we don't know. The Bible tells us everything we need to know in order to know about God, but it doesn't tell us everything that happened. The Gospels tell us that if everything Jesus said and did was written down, all the books of the world wouldn't be able to hold them. So a lot of things went on. But you know, you kind of speculate on, on, on if Matthew and Jesus had had this conversation. I heard a pastor describe it this way. He says, maybe Matthew might ask Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus would said, well, where I've been going all along. And he'd say, well, where's that? To Jerusalem. And what will you do when you go to Jerusalem? And Jesus would say, well, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be tried on trumped-up charges, beaten, whipped, and spit upon, crucified, so that the sins of all might be on me. And then Matthew might say, well, that, that, that's kind of odd and interesting, but what kind of business are you in? And Jesus would say, I'm in the Father's business. My Father's business, what kind of business is that? Jesus would say, it's a nonprofit business. And he'd say this, he'd say, what about these men with you? What are their daily wages? And Jesus would say, they get nothing. In fact, they quit their jobs to follow me. And Jesus might be asked, well, how much is your house worth? And Jesus would say, I don't have a house. Matthew would say, well, look, do you own anything? And, and, and Jesus would say, just the clothes on my back and, and a great love for people and a desire to heal folks, and so forth. Now, we can only speculate about that. That conversation may or may not have happened. It's an interesting way to think about it, as Matthew and his humanity would encounter Jesus from a tax collector's perspective. But listen, Jesus sees Matthew, 
And what does he say to him? He says, follow me. We don't know if Matthew had had interactions with Jesus before. We don't know if Matthew had been in the back of a crowd listening to Jesus or heard stories about him. But there was something that went on there, something that went on. And Jesus looked at him, probably with those piercing eyes, and said, follow me. Jesus, Jesus has a special place in his heart for people that others reject, that people that, that others won't have time with. And Jesus looks at them, the sinners of this world, the ones he had come to seek and save. And he seeks to be the great physician to them and to their hearts. He seeks to make them new creatures in Christ, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, as you look at this situation and the calling of Matthew, the other gospel writers who record this account never dwell too much on Matthew's somewhat shady past. But Matthew does. He wants to let us know he's a tax collector. He wants us to let us know that people think he hangs out with sinners and outcasts and so forth. Matthew perhaps wants to let us know today that no matter who you know, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad your life has been, Jesus is there to say to you and to me today, follow me, follow me. You know, um, when we're driving around and so forth in the car, uh, particularly those of the male gender are kind of resistant to being told uh, how to get somewhere. Did you know that? Directions and so forth. Some of you wives here are nodding your head and so forth. Now, in this day of GPS and, and Waze and Siri can tell us everything or whatever, you know, maybe it's not as big of a problem, but, you know, I don't know. But a lot of times it's like, I know where I'm going, but why don't you just stop and ask for, 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 for directions or whatever. But, but no, I, I, I'm going to keep trying. And, and what happens is, is that a lot of times it takes forever. It takes forever to get to the right place. But Jesus comes along and says, follow me. Follow me. Now, one of the hard things about God sometimes, particularly when we're going through situations that we don't understand in life, that don't make a whole lot of sense, sometimes it's hard to wrap our arms around God and the concept of God and who he is and so forth. I've been there. You've been there. And in those times, one of the ways that really helps me and helps you, I'm sure, is not to focus so much on some grand uh, uh, philosophical conundrum or whatever that I'm wrestling with about God and how he does this or that or whatever, but is to focus on Jesus, to look at Jesus. When I don't understand God, I look at Jesus. Because part of the reason of the incarnation was not only that Christ would come as Savior and Redeemer and Victor over sin and death, but also that Christ would come to show us what God is like. The Jesus that I see that has little kids climb up on his lap. The Jesus that I see that has hearts of compassion and eyes of compassion for those who are left out, for those that no one else seems to care about, 
the Jesus that I see who, who stands for righteousness and justice and, and, and calls us to that. Yes, Jesus, I can follow someone like that. Jesus not only came to save us, but Jesus came to show us what God would have us to be. And Matthew, in following Jesus, immediately got up to follow Jesus, would follow the one who was going to show him the best way to live. He didn't give his employer a two-week notice. We don't see that. He didn't worry about maybe the retirement plan he was giving up or, or something getting in trouble with the Romans. Matthew, the scripture says, got up and followed Jesus. There are a lot of us in different places in life, and we know people in different places in life who we lament because we see them struggling and wrestling with things in life, and we want to say, if you'll just, just give it a chance and just trust Jesus and follow Jesus and, and, and allow his spirit to transform you into what God calls you to be, you'll find the way. Follow Jesus. Matthew shows us how to follow Jesus, to get up and follow him immediately. But Matthew also shows us that even in his unredeemed state there initially, that, that he still had a, had a compassion and a care for those he associated with. Because what happens? Well, next thing we do is we find him at a dinner. He's called all these social outcasts, these other tax collectors, these sinners to a dinner because he wanted his friends, who he wouldn't have too many of outside that circle, he wanted them to know what he had found. He wanted to share with them the forgiveness that he had found and sent out an invitation so that these people might know that he did. God used Matthew in ways that we can't imagine, that aren't recorded in Scripture, but undoubtedly Matthew's testimony to those folks, those circle of friends, had eternal significance. A lot of things in Matthew's life this unlikely follower of Jesus, unlikely follower of Jesus who would become one of Jesus' apostles. A lot of things he did had eternal significance. Luke says Matthew left all he had to follow Jesus, but you know what? Matthew brought one thing along with him. He brought his pen along with him. He spent a lot of time with the Savior, and he looked at things from a unique perspective, particularly from the perspective of the Jews who were his people, and he wrote down things that no other gospel writer recorded. Matthew alone talks about how they paid a temple tax through a fishy miracle, chapter 17. Matthew alone records the story of the laborers who worked different hours but received the same pay, even at the last hour. Only Matthew records Jesus' parable of the unforgiving debtor who's forgiving a debt of millions, refuses to help a friend. And also, we learn from that the principle of forgiving others. Matthew brought his pen with him, 
And because Matthew brought his pen with him, little children today are learning in our building today that Lord's Prayer that we all know. Little children today are reading the words of the Sermon on the Mount because of Matthew, this man that would be the most unlikely follower. You wouldn't pick him to be an apostle, and yet the Lord Jesus saw something in him, saw something in him, and looked at him and said, follow me, follow me. Well, today as I look out over this crowd and as I look at my life, I know that in a lot of ways I, I feel things that Matthew would feel, inadequacy and at times maybe not feeling like I fit in or all those things that we feel. A lot of times in life we come and we look back and say, oh, I lament, if only I'd have done this better or done this differently. And to folks like us today, Matthew reminds me and reminds you that the Lord looks inside. Remember the old scripture in the Old Testament that talks about when David was selected to be king? 1 Samuel chapter 16 says, don't worry about the outside of David. Look at the inside because that's what God looks at. And what a comfort it is today to know that this guy Matthew, this guy Matthew who was a regular person just like us, who had a job that was not real popular and a job that certainly didn't make any friends for him. And who knows in the confines of his home and his private time, the loneliness, the isolation he felt, who knows? Who knows the things he struggled with about the greedy decisions that he made? In the, in the, in the still of the night as he remembered that, that poor widow who he had tacked on extra tax to. And he, and he went on in his conscience, you know. Matthew had all those things addressed. And Matthew, undoubtedly, in response to Jesus' love and in response to Jesus' grace, becomes then one of the faithful followers, one who would be part of the twelve, one who would offer a gospel, one who would share words that have had such significance as we've uh, described before. Matthew an unlikely follower, but a follower who was seen through the eyes of Jesus. Now today as you sit here, you wonder, how does God look at me? How does God look at me? Well, God looks at you the same way he looked at Matthew. He looks at you the same way he looked at the city of Jerusalem as he goes up on a hill and stands up on the hill and says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you under my wings as a hen does her chicks, but you wouldn't receive it. He looks at, at, at Israel and says, I look at you with eyes of compassion. God, Jesus, looks at us through those same eyes today and says, you are my sheep. I know you. Follow me. I heard a pastor share a story that I'll close with today. Back in the mid-1980s, he says he was on, with a friend on a trip and he was backpacking through the Holy Land area, Jordan in particular. He says it was in the late afternoon and early evening when he stopped and watched three shepherds who were watering their flocks at a common well. 
As those flocks had mixed together, the friend wondered how the shepherds were going to separate those sheep that had all gotten together. Well, eventually one of the shepherds stood up and in his unique voice called out the words, Minah, Minah, which in Arabic means follow me. And he says, unbelievably, about 30 of those sheep immediately went to that shepherd and followed him out and up the hill. Not too long after that, the second shepherd got up and in his own unique voice said the same thing. Menah, follow me. And another 30 of those sheep gathered around him and followed on. As for the other sheep that were there remaining with the third shepherd, they acted as if nothing had happened. They continued drinking at the well until the third shepherd called them into attention. As the person observed this, this pastor said to one of the shepherds, to the third one, would your sheep follow me if I called them? And the shepherd shook his head, no. He says, listen, you can try if you want to. And so that pastor called out, Mena, Mena, but the sheep looked at him like he'd lost his mind, didn't do anything, went back to eating some grass. And he says, they always follow you. He said, yep, they always follow the voice of their master, the voice of the shepherd, because I know them, and they know I know them. So today we have a good shepherd who says, I know you. I love you. I see inside your heart just like I saw inside of Matthew's. And I'm calling you today to follow me. Now, many of us responded to that call years ago. But every day, God is calling me and you to be more in his likeness and to listen to his voice. And I pray as Matthew got up immediately and responded, you and I will to the call of God, knowing that it's from the loving Savior who looks at us with eyes of compassion and love, just as he did Matthew.